Welcome to Elevate Your Game. Today we've got a, a great episode in store for you. We've got Brendan Ryan joining us today. I've known Brendan for a while. Brendan started a business a while back called Golf Placement Services. And what they do is they work with you, the client, who would be a junior golfer. And in looking at your game and your academics and everything, they help find you a fit of what university would be a good fit for you. Brendan knows tons and tons of college college coaches across the country. And by being in contact with them, he then helps find the right school that's that's good for both parties. And so Brendan's very knowledgeable of the process of college golf and uh, what it takes to play at the collegiate level. And he's going to give us some good insight today into what it is that you need to do if you want to, if that is an aspiration of yours, what the whole process is of what you need to do to get to that point. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Without further ado, here's Brendan Ryan and myself. Well, Brendan, thanks for coming on here with us today. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, and, and just first, I just want to point out, you're the owner of Golf Placement Services. And I saw on your website that your company has placed 326 golfers into different schools, and 188 of those have been Division One. And that's just, that's an, that's an impressive stat. And that's, that's got to be so awesome for you to have been able to have helped that many juniors get into school. Um, what, what got you interested in this business? Well, you know, essentially I was the college golf coach at the university of Kentucky and I left to start to be involved in a junior golf academy called core junior golf academy with my childhood friend, Sean Foley and uh, another guy that we knew from back home in Canada named Jeff Hay. And, you know, as we were out doing our junior academy stuff, it became apparent that somebody needed to do the college placement. And so I jumped in and quickly found a niche where it was pretty easy for me since I had spent 10 years coaching and had a lot of relationships. So from doing that and just being around the teachers, it started to grow. And, you know, quickly I got calls from people like, Gary Gilchrist and Bender and David Ledbetter and started doing some work with them as well on the college side. And, you know, the business turned out to be pretty stable and have a lot of good clients. So I I sort of stuck with it. And it's obviously through one of the academies that we, we met each other. Yeah. Yeah. So just to give the listeners a background, me and Brendan, we've known each other for a few years. We met at, uh, Eagles Dream Academy, which is now known as Sean Foley's uh, Performance Academy. Um, it, can you so just just to give uh, our listeners just some um, understanding of this process? Say you have a kid who's uh, really interested in golf; he's playing at a pretty high level. What what age should that kid be when he starts looking at the the process of? Uh, recruiting and, and getting in contact with coaches or, or what is that process? 
So look, I think we're going to go through some different ideas today. And I'm not saying that anything I'm saying is right. I just spend a lot of my time. Part of my background is I have three master's degrees. Uh, I've just got accepted for my 40th academic paper for publication uh, today. Wow. And, you know, I spend a lot of time just trying to look at this from an impartial standpoint. And I think one of the things is this can be very emotional for parents and kids. And there's certainly a lot of pressure. And I think something that's important to talk about in this deal is just the way we go about it. So I like your question, but I want to frame it a little bit differently. And, you know, the way we look at things often helps us understand how we're going to get somewhere. And I think too many people go into this with the mindset that they're a shopper, right? Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. like, obviously you played college golf and obviously Mm -hmm. you played high-level golf. And back Mm -hmm. in the day, I just think that there were a lot less people and the market has changed and transformed so quickly that parents need to understand how competitive it is now. You know, today, being a junior means being a professional something, being a professional student, being a professional little golfer, being a professional little hockey player, being a professional musician, being a professional singer, dancer, whatever it is. Kids are engaged at a very high level in golf. And, you know, I think it would be powerful for you to just sort of speak about your own experience from being a junior golfer, you know, going out there for a couple minutes to working at one of these academies and seeing how much just over those, you know, six or seven years, things changed. And now let's accelerate that 10 years, right? Yeah. I I think parents need to hear that. So can you sort of, can I redirect before I answer to sort of your own experience, you know, growing up? playing junior golf, you know, because I suspect you did it mostly by yourself. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I played other sports until I was probably 13. And then at age 13, I I was obsessed with golf. I literally would go to the course every single day in the summer and I would be there for hours and hours practicing. I love to, I didn't necessarily hit a ton of golf balls, but I would work on my short game for hours and then I would go play and then from there I went on to um, I ended up going to a junior academy myself I went to IMG Academy which is in Bradenton Florida and there I had a group of other kids my age that I was practicing and playing with but I mean like you're saying it was almost like being a professional I mean it was like my job it was like school and golf and that was it I mean I, I practiced um, 300 350 days a year, you know, when I was living in Florida, obviously I couldn't when I was in Omaha where I'm originally from, but, uh, yeah, to, to, to play at that level, you have to, you have to play and practice all the time because like you're saying, it's so competitive. And so that was, that was sort of the process for me. And I personally enjoyed that grind of just getting better and better and better. And I, I'd see little bits of improvement. Sure. There'd be frustrations and um, fallbacks, but those were what helped me grow and get better. So it's, it's a process of looking at 
you know, what do you want long-term? You want to play in college and then creating a plan towards getting better to get to that point. Yeah. You've just brought up a critical piece of the puzzle is I think we can frame it in two things. You know, what are we going to do in terms of the guise of action? So making a list of schools that we think we're interested in, um, talking to coaches, listening to podcasts, right? And I Mm -hmm. would call that sort of the guise of action. And then there is the real action, which you just described, 350 days out on the golf course, trying to get better, pushing yourself, getting a coach, making a comprehensive schedule that makes sense, that allows you to perform well, and really building skills that are going to help you perform at the college level. And I think so much of the data out there and nudging is towards the first, the guise of action. Hey, let's talk about it. Let's think about it. You know, and unfortunately, unless you're really, really, really good, that isn't going to get you anywhere. Yeah, it's a waste of time. Yeah, It's it's a big waste of time, you know, and everybody has an opinion. And I think people just get bogged down in all of that. And at the end of the day, there's a core group of juniors who are out there who are doing 350 days a year of golf. They're getting pretty good instruction. They're playing in good weather on nice golf courses. And they're playing a comprehensive tournament schedule while balancing academics. And if you think you're going to beat those people playing 150 days... Brendan, you there? Sorry, it just it just cut out for a second. Can you you said yeah. for after you said 150 days? Can you? I think if you think you're you're going to play 150 days and beat those people, I think you're in deep trouble, and I think sure. you're crazy. Yeah. Right. And Absolutely. so I, I think that the the sort of getting back to the core element of your question, you know, what does it take? I think people need to realize first of all, you know, it's not when you went to school as a parent. Right now, right. people are really good. They're very committed. And the first thing that we need to do is sort of engage our kids in things that they really actually enjoy. And they need to be all in. And they need to spend their time focused on being good at whatever that thing is. And they Absolutely. need to understand the numbers that it takes to be good. You know, if you look at a school like Vanderbilt, which maybe 25 years ago was a nice school, but didn't have the cachet it does now. Their Mm -hmm. SAT has gone from somewhere in the 1100 range to an average SAT of 1510. I mean, 1510, you don't get to be 1510 by accident. Right. That takes a lot of practice and I mean, studying and, you know, if we look at 10 to 15 years ago, the best junior golfers were as good as they were are now. The best have always been this good, but the average has gotten a lot better. And my data suggests sort of, let's call it 2005, you know, to play division one golf, you had a stroke average of in junior golf 75. Okay. Mm-hmm. Today, that same number. That's about what I would have been. Yeah. You know, and that's when I played junior golf, you know, I I didn't do it very comprehensively. I played a lot of sports all the way through school and, you know, went and averaged about 74 and a half and it was fine. 
and you could play Division One golf. You know, today, based on this last recruiting class, the data that's come out so far, the average boy who's going to go on to play Division One golf, his scoring differential is going to be about 0.5, which means he averages about half a shot worse than the course rating. So let's just wow. assume that the course rating on average in junior golf is 73. That means that they're averaging 73.5 over the, you know, the course of a year. That's, that's pretty good golf. And there's a big difference between 74 or 75 and 73 and a half or better. No doubt. And no so doubt. I, th- I think for parents, it's just really the eye opening of if you believe you're going to start as a sophomore or junior and play at a high level, you know, you better. You got, no, yeah. You, you, you got a long ways to go. I mean, you got just, a long ways to go. And then yeah. I think let's now talk about some of the supporting components. You know, I think for parents, it's also in juniors, you know, a big part of elite golf is how quickly you grow and how much you grow. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's probably mm-hmm. less of a discussion in junior girls golf because typically girls grow and mature a little Faster, quicker. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, if you have a late developing boy, I mean, it's completely out of his hands when he's going to grow. And yet a lot of parents have put expectations and conversations about playing at a certain level. I mean, to me, that's tremendously unfair. Right. Because right. they just not, you know, you're, you're going to have some guys who they go into college at 18 and are, you know, five, eight, 125 pounds and come out and are six, three and, you know, 190. And yeah. it's always interesting going to junior events. You know, you look on the range, there's always going to be a couple kids that, you know, have more facial hair than me. And there's a couple kids, you know, in the same group that look like they're, <laughs> you know, 11. Yeah. And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to understand how are those guys going to do in a physical game. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just especially today with how much further everyone's hitting it. I mean, when I was, you know, when I was 16, 17, I mean, the kids just, you know, I hit it probably at that time legitimately 235 to 255 off the tee somewhere in there and I got along fine but today hitting it 240 yards I mean you're just you're playing at a tremendous disadvantage the kids are hitting it so much farther yeah again the coach has I think the way to frame it is the coach has enough options that he doesn't have to take that kid right right so sure. if, if we're going to sort of build a matrix and we look at the primary factors, you know, I would say the primary factors are sort of your scoring differential, how you play against the course rating day to day, you know, who you beat, your rounds under par, and then the academic components, right? And then the right. peripheral of that is how big are you? How strong are you? How far do you hit it? How good is your golf swing? Do people like you? Are your parents crazy? How much money will you spend? Sure. How many kids do I have graduating in your class? What are the expectations of the university? How, Brendan, how important do you think it is to be playing like in AJGAs versus 
more versus more local and regional stuff. Yeah, look, I, I think that people, again, one of the greatest marketing campaigns of the 20th century. Is and just you... real quick, I just want to say AJGA is the American Junior Golf Association. It's a junior golf tour that's basically like the PGA Tour of junior golf. Sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to make that clear. Brendan? Yeah. And so, you know, look, the AJJ is a wonderful organization and they ha I have a good relationship with them and they allow me to collect data. And I'm very thankful for that. But I would say one of the greatest marketing campaigns of the 20th century is that you must play golf to get a scholarship. Again, it's a matter of nuance, but I would say you must play good golf to get a scholarship. And so this idea that you're going to take little Timmy, who is a three handicap at the local country club, fly him across the country, maybe on grass that he doesn't know, and he's going to average a 0.5 scoring differential to get a Division One scholarship, is child abuse it's just literally batshit crazy sure i mean well, you know and again the data speaks to you know kids are about two shots better within 400 miles of their house over a large group of people and you know the kids who have a lot of experience are just going to do better and so yeah. you know you have to remember that there's a reason that there's a local tour and it's not about, you know, going out and winning AJJs at the start. You know, there's clearly a development ladder. You're clearly going to play better on courses, you know, and that are close to home. And parents, again, need to be thoughtful about what they're spending their time and resources on. If sure. you have a, let's just say you're going to play a tournament at Timaquan here in Florida at the course mm -hmm. where you used to work at. Mm-hmm. You know, these kids who show up on a Friday and play a practice round and think they're going to have a 0.45 scoring differential. I mean, they're essentially believing their self-belief is off the charts because, I mean, world-class players struggle to do that. Mm -hmm. And these are, you know, 14 to 18-year-old kids. I mean, you know, they should be going there weeks in advance, playing the course four or five times, you know, and really getting ready and making sure that they've played a lot of tournament golf before they enter you know or competitive nature golf including high school golf that's in my opinion but what, what, what sure. do you think yeah i know it's just interesting to me because it's i understand your point but at the same time it's experience that they need so the more experience that they have in those situations to me their fears are going to become more comfortable and they're going to uh, feel more more and more confident in that situation the more they're in it and so that's a great point. So here is where the math is important. You know, scoring differential is calculated over the last year on your tournament plays, right? So sure. as soon as you go out there and have one round of 80 on, let's say, a course rating of 72, which would equate to eight scoring differential, how do you ever get that back down? Mathematically. Uh, you're saying, how do you, how do you get rid of that score? Like in your handicap kind of thing? Like, what do you, I don't understand what you mean. Well, so scoring differential is essentially a year long process where they look at what you shoot versus the course rating. Okay. okay. So if you go out in a tournament and are trying to get comfortable and let's just say you shoot 83, 85 
on a course rating of 72. Your scoring differential is going to be right at 11 and a half. For you then to get your ranking back down is virtually impossible. Okay. I see what you're saying. So what happens is, you know, we have, you make a very fair point if the rules were different, but the rules are this that your scores count towards your scoring differential and it punishes you for bad scores significantly. Okay. But that's, that's, and that's just referring to your ranking, right? And which, Correct. which, and, and that's your ranking by who golf week or by both by junior golf, golf scoreboard okay. and golf week. Okay. So, so, you know, what we, I think what happens is in a, and there are some tournaments that are not sponsored by those or not covered. But essentially what happens is, you know, we try to get our juniors some experience and in doing so, we bury them in the rankings, right? Okay, sure. So we currently are working with a kid from abroad who is attending one of the academies. And when he got here, he wasn't very comfortable. So I pushed him not to play, not to play, not to play. And then, you know, when he was comfortable and knew the courses where he was going to play, he went out and had four very good rounds of golf. Immediately, his scoring differential was very, very low. And since then, he's had visits at Arizona State, you know, a number of big programs. And so, you know, we just have to be careful in that gaining experience these days is extremely important, right? You, we don't Absolutely. disagree <laughs> with that. But if you're trying to do it in a tournament setting, you can really, really punish your kid's ranking And that is, you know, in my experience, again, the data shows that there's an extremely high correlation, the highest of anything between your junior golfer score, junior golf scoreboard ranking and where they go to score school. Okay. So when you take that approach and you have 85 on the board, that 85 is going to be on your junior golf scoreboard for 364 consecutive days. It falls off on the 365th day. Okay. You know, if you're going to be a junior or a senior and you're looking at colleges, you know, those are the types of scores that keep your ranking high and really hurt opportunities. And so parents have to weigh those because there will be lots of people who play. And one of the strategies that parents should be aware of is a good strategy is not to play sometimes. Okay. So my next question would be, how often would you recommend that kids play in events, play competition? Yeah, well, I would say this. In your experience as an instructor and golfer, what months do Andrew and do kids play their best golf? In the summer months. Any particular months come to mind? I would say July or August. Yeah, look, I think this is a race to get your kid ready to play one event in June, two events in July, and maybe two to three events in August. And then supplement that with some golf around your house on courses you know throughout the year. But really, those are going to be the core months where your son or daughter has the best opportunity to play their best rounds in the best conditions, ideally on courses that they know and are comfortable on. Okay. So you're basically saying you'd recommend that kids only play in a handful of events a year then? 
I would say that they, you know, again, they need to look at it like it's professional golf, right? Mm -hmm. Tiger Woods does not go around and just play any old event. Under the PGA Tour rules, he has to play one event, every event, every five years. But, you know, for junior golfers, the idea isn't to get scores, it's to get good scores. And so they have to use it under that ideology. Sorry, Brendan, it just cut out again. The, the, the idea has to be, how do I get the best scores? Right. Right? Right. But, and so, you know, if you're just out there playing golf whenever, that's cool. No problem. But that isn't a strategy that's going to lead you to elite golf unless you're just very, very, very good. Right? Sure. And, you know, even Tiger Woods, again, picks courses that he doesn't like and he doesn't play. And he's, you know, arguably the best golfer of our generation. So when parents just think, I'm going to sign little Timmy up to go play this course, you know, they're just not being very thoughtful. And Hmm. there are a handful of courses, you know, one of my favorite events is one tour hosts every year in February, an event at Keough Island. So it's Keough Island. It's February, and it's you know one of the hardest golf courses in the world, yeah. In some of the worst conditions, over the last five years, there's been an average of twenty three withdrawals per event. Why? Because that time of year on that golf course in that those conditions, even a good score, right? You know, par is seventy nine, and these these junior golf rankings don't take into consideration the weather. So if you go there and you think that's a good idea, you're essentially burying your kid in the rankings. In my opinion. Sure. Yeah. This is, um, well, I have to admit that my strategy that I have been encouraging my students to do is compete as often as possible. And, uh, now the kids that I'm working with are not playing at a, at a national level yet. So that there's, there's almost no, uh, traveling to play, so to speak. I have, I have one student who is going to play in his first event that is out of the state of Nebraska, but, um, our local events wouldn't be, um, wouldn't be ranked. Would you, I mean, it's just been in my experience as a coach and as a player that when I compete, it's motivating motivating and i feel like i i either i either shoot good scores and and feel more confident or i don't play well and i learn what i need to do better you're you're absolutely right and so let me give you sort of my strategy that i've used and you can give me some feedback sure uh you get your group of juniors at your golf course you know what's the golf course that you teach at called it's called shadow ridge country club okay so we're all at shadow ridge right and here's the Mm -hmm. game you go out and you play every day and you can't play for more than $10 a day. Okay. And you have to gamble enough money to enter your first junior golf tournament. So when that person has gone out and gambled 150 bucks and, you know, has the money to pay their own way into an entry into an event, they're ready to play. And when I've done that with my juniors, you know, they're gaining tons of experience learning how to play good golf at their local course and then when they get to the event, how do they play, do you think? 
Ah. Yeah, probably pretty well, just because that ten dollars probably feels like uh, they're under the gun, you know. Yeah, correct. You know, and now the the nuance here of, you know, there's two types of gambling. There's taking your whole paycheck and going to the casino and betting on black. <laughs> you know, we are not encouraging junior golfers to do that. Although if they win and they want to send us some money, we would appreciate that. That's very nice of them. <laughs> you know, what we're trying to say here is, you know, day to day, it's like you said, you know, we, we believe that tournament golf is the only way to sort of create that atmosphere. But again, it's the nuance of the way we create things. And, you know, the way we create things is day to day have that deal, Right. And right. if you're an elite level athlete, I mean, you know, the highs and lows of going out and playing your buddies every day, right? Just like you said, mm-hmm. it's motivational, but it, I mean, it's diabolically hard. You're going out there against three or four other guys of similar ability and trying to beat sure. them. Sure. And that's what's just... going to help push you. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's great. But I do have to admit, and just playing devil's advocate for a second, that to me, it's very difficult to simulate tournament golf. I mean, if you've never played in tournaments and then you go, like, if I set up an event of like eight kids and said, okay, guys, here's our tournament today, you know, amongst us eight, it might be kind of nerve wracking. But if you've started to, you know, if you've been playing and then you play in a tournament and then you go do something like that, it it doesn't, I just don't know that it really simulates the arena, but maybe, so in your experience, are you saying that you're, you're having success with that? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it it is all has to do with their interpretation of it, and I have tremendous success because guess what? By the time you get to the first tee, you're gonna. I just tell the kids you're gonna bulldoze these kids. I mean, these kids are here; they think they're pretty good, and you've just won 15 times in a row against kids that are at least as good as these kids to be here. Who do you think's gonna win? They're just like, yeah, and they just go bulldoze people. I mean, it's not even close. That's awesome. Just the, the very beginning of that, you cut out again for a second. I apologize. Can you just yeah. repeat? Yeah, I, I just sort of said, like, you, you just sit with the, the kid and say, okay, you know, let's say that to win $100, you've had to win 10 matches in a row. And you just frame it as these kids are exactly like the kids you just beat 10 in a row. Why don't we just make it 11 today? Sure. And the kid's like, yeah. And it's just not a big deal. Because, you know, it becomes a culture of winning and it becomes a culture of they have to be accountable for their shots. And so what I see is, you know, there, there are a lot more, the, the competitive nature doesn't bother them because they know that there's a tomorrow. And so you play bad, no problem. They're keen to get back out and gamble tomorrow and get back in the arena, right? Sure. As opposed to, and it's just a, a game of, um, building experience. You know, I, I had a kid who was on a great hot streak. He played bad. And, you know, that night there was no yelling or throwing of clubs. It's like, hey, bud, I, I played terrible at a bad time. That's golf, you know? Yep. Uh, <laughs> what can I say? I'm ready to go out there tomorrow and, you know, play well and then, you know, get back on Monday. You know, he's already calling around looking for a game Monday so he can make some money to go do a next tournament. Sure. Right. And, you know, I just sort of think we have these expectations that golf is different. And again, it's the subtle nuances of what we're trying to get kids to do. And at the end of the day, you know, you either want to compete or you don't. And if you compete enough, it's going to be fine. Yeah. 
but it's the culture of protecting kids, you know? Sure. Yeah. And it's the culture of, oh, don't worry. You hit a bad shot, hit another shot. Right. Yeah, that's, that's and that, it, that to me is just not a good practice at all. And it's the culture of, you know, the driving range and it's the culture of my cult, my swing, my coach will help me. Right. 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 As opposed and, to being responsible for your, for your own score and your own performance. Yeah. And you just look at, you know, some of the best kids that I've played with over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I just played with Ricky Castillo at Florida. I played a bunch with Sam Horsfield. I mean, these are the guys who I think their technique is good. They certainly don't hit it as well as some of the other juniors I've seen in terms of just pure movement patterns. Mm-hmm. But these guys are, you know, plugged in a bunker with no green and they're just not afraid at all to take big swings and see what happens. And I made bogey, no problem. I'll make three birdies. Right. right. And you, you know, that's the culture that you're trying to build that, Hey, no problem. I'm four over. I'm going to get it back. Yep. And if I don't get it back, I'm not going to be sad at the end of the round. I'm just going to go tomorrow and try to do it again. That's right. And, and I think what happens is, you know, we look at these in terms of, you know, such small data points and it's having a big mindset that I'm just in this to beat people and I'm going to beat people tomorrow, the next day and the next day. And someday I'm going to play bad, but that's okay because the next day I'll go beat people as opposed to, you know, this tournament's coming up. I need to play well then. Sure. Sure. So you're, you're basically saying have that competitiveness every day in, in matches amongst your peers. And then a tournament is just like another day of a match. Yeah, correct. And I think like, look, if, if that's the type of kid you have, Again, that's a signal that kid's going to do great in Division One golf, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If that's not the type of kid you have, that doesn't mean they can't play college golf. They're just not going to be a good fit at a good program, right? And these right. are the nuances that parents have to listen to, I think. Right. Right? right. I mean, I, you know, you're going to have no problem tomorrow. Junior golfer, you want to play? Yeah, let's play. You haven't played in a while. It's not, you know, you hit a bad shot. It's not going to phase you, right? Because yep. you've done it. And that's who you are. And that's why you played division one golf. Yeah. You uh, live and die by the present moment. <laughs> yeah. You're, and I think that's, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about, I know you've had Judd on, I know, you know, you played division one golf. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know whether, you know, what I'm saying, kids understand until you're in the moment at one of these big schools, because, you know, the deal is there's the first tee and in three and a half hours, I need a scorecard back of 73 or better. And yeah. if you're not into that, it's probably not going to be a very good fit. You know, it, it's, it's a mindset. I mean, it's just, it's flat out a mindset. It's a mindset that every shot counts. Every single shot is extremely important. And it's the most important thing in this moment, right? Is is. So it's putting yourself in a mindset of focus and uh, confidence or giving yourself, giving yourself a sense of, I guess, yeah, confidence and focus on every single shot and, and making sure that you are um, just doing your best on each shot. Because I just, I see a lot of kids these days, if they, they hit a few bad shots and then I don't think they give the same effort on every shot. I I think that they sort of um, give up, so to speak. 
And so if you want to play at a really high level, I mean, it's like, that's, that's to me, like just the most uh, basic thing is, is you've got to, you've got to put everything into every single shot. Yeah. And I think we're on the same page that that's a tremendous insight. Every day it's got to be like that, right? There are no tournament days. You're just into that or you're not. Exactly. And I think, you know, as an awareness, as a parent and a junior golfer and a coach, we know kids that are into it and we know kids that aren't. And if you're not into it, are you going to play elite level college golf? No chance. And, you know, I think here's an important nuance for everybody listening. There's a bunch of people who think that, hey, I'll still get my kid to play at a high level. And, you know, the whole game here that people don't understand is if you do, you are setting your kid up for unbelievable embarrassment and ridicule. You know, these kids at the highest level, the most competitive kids are complete animals, right? Mm -hmm. They want to play, they want to beat you, and they want to make you feel bad and destroy you, right? And, you know, I think this idea that we're going to beat the system, you have to, one of the most important things people can take away is you have to be careful what you wish for, right? (laughs) No doubt. Because you played at a high level. Mm -hmm. It was grueling. And when you look back, you know, was it as much fun as going to maybe a smaller school and playing every event and not having any stress? You know, we're creating our futures here for our kids. Sure. And the biggest and best isn't necessarily the biggest and best. Right. It's, you (laughs) know, and, you know, I think parents don't quite understand what they're signing their kids up for at some points. Well, because I don't think people really understand the sacrifice. (laughs) the sacrifice that it takes to, um, to do that. If you want to be the biggest and the best, there's, there's uh, an unbelievable sacrifice to get to that point. And people might say it, it sounds great, but when it really gets down to it, it's, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot more probably behind the scenes and a lot more that goes into it than, you know, than you want to work for. Yeah. And look, it's unbelievably emotionally draining. I think people, you know, because you're measured every day. How many people, you know, almost every parent who listens to this podcast, they'll have an annual or maybe biannual review. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the science says that humans don't exactly love that type of feedback. Right. Right. I don't think it's anybody's favorite day to go to the office and hear what people think. Right. 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 If you're a division one athlete at a high level, that's every day. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Absolutely. it's, a, and, and so again, is that the type of culture and environment that you want your kids in? Is that going to help them create their best reality? Is that going to help them succeed in life? Right. These are, you know, when we started the conversation, we were talking about, you know, tournament scheduling and what to look at. I mean, mm-hmm. these are the, the questions that really make or break the college experience and the college search process. And I think that so many people, I don't know what Judd said the other day or, you know, what other people are saying, but I think, you know, these are the things that really make or break people, not your tournament schedule. True. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that comment because I, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's not always about, you know, getting to the the biggest and the best. It's about having a good fit. It's about 
living a life where you're happy doing what you're doing and for everybody that's different. No, correct. I mean, look, I think if you ask a lot of people, parents, here's a great thing to do. You ask parent what the goal is. And invariably, again, because of the anchoring, they'll say play division one golf. Mm -hmm. And I'll always go back and say, okay, here are your two options. We can play division one golf or at 23, little Elizabeth can be out of the house making 75 grand a year in her own apartment. What's a better outcome? And, you know, if parents don't get that, you know, I'm sorry to the kids because the kids just in trouble. Right. The the deal here is we want our our kids to become healthy human beings who are great adults who can move out of our houses and contribute to society and have meaningful lives. Yeah. Right. And none of that has anything to do with Division one. None of it has anything to do with the AJGA. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's about maturity, right? And so you know when you meet a kid who's really mature and his family is usually coming at it from a very mature angle. And as you say that, that's just kind of what what speaks to me is we want our kids to continue to mature. And uh, it's, you know, being, being the best, in my opinion, is not necessarily always the, the should be the main focal point, right? It should be being a better person, um, being happy, those things. Well, there's, I, I think you're just, you know, the point again is that there's a lot that goes into this, right? Mm-hmm. And there's gonna, only going to be one the best, right? right? And the best boy or girl at 16 is going to be an early grower, an early specializer, right? And somebody who's all it. And if your kid doesn't have all three of those, are they going to be the best? Very, very unlikely not. Does that mean they can't be the best? No, it doesn't. But, you know, again, the the long-term development pathways in golf are, you know, 10 plus years. So it's a massive investment. And along the way, I think responsible parenting is about looking at the takeaways from this deal and the takeaways shouldn't be scholarship, division one, yet they are. The takeaway right. should be learning to deal with difficult managers, mm-hmm. learning to go all in on things we love, learning hard work, learning dedication. These are the things that we know correlate in the long term with success. Sure. But they're yeah. lost in this get a scholarship deal. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's, that's great insight. I mean, my takeaways from that, when I listen to you speak and I think that uh, we're both on the same page is that it's, you've got to assess your situation and what's the, what's the, what, what can you do to help your son or daughter be the best person that they can be? not only what can they do to get a scholarship or be, you know, the best golfer. Yeah. Again, as a, as a parent, you're, I think you got to look at it from a mentoring standpoint and say, okay, what can this teach my kid and how can I set up the game to help them mature and become a better person? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because ultimately, you know, I think by the time they're 
if your kid just absolutely loves golf, one of the biggest take another takeaway is, you know, if you're absolutely a hundred percent in and love this, at some point you're going to make it. That you know, this isn't a hard enough deal, where you know anything can stop you if you're really out there practicing like you were. You know, was anything going to stop you when you were fourteen from playing high level golf? Probably not. I mean, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, and so those kids are the kids that should play division one golf and they shouldn't play because their parents want a tote bag that says Kansas or Nebraska. Right. They're going to play because when coach loses their mind that they shot bad, they're going to go right to the putting green and like, like to practice. Right. Right. Exactly. Just real quick. I just want to come back to, uh, the, the rankings. And so how important, how important are these rankings golf week and junior golf scoreboard? It, I think you gave a statistic. How, I, I, I think the deal is that based on the data, they're most highly correlated with where people end up. And yeah. I've written a lot of articles about how the numbers relate to where kids go. And so, again, if we're smart and we understand that, you know, what you do on this decides where you go, parents should be aware of that when they're making decisions. Sure. Right? If we have $2 in our pocket and we both want a coffee, we know that we're not going to Starbucks. <laughs> no doubt. Right? Yeah. Why? Because it's implicit. And I think that what I'm trying to do is help parents understand what signals and what data points are important and what aren't. Right? Yep. And so, you know, we want our kids to not play a lot of tournaments. We want them to play well. And then below the surface, we want them to develop these skills. And then we need to seriously and critically assess the other skills. How mature are they? How big are they? How much speed do they have? And put those together to formulate what we should do. Absolutely. Awesome. Brendan, do you do, you do any coaching now? Or are you just specifically doing the college placement? I, I just, I, I've stopped in the last couple months doing any coaching. So I am just doing some college placement and then some advising for some teachers and some junior golf academies. And then um, we are, I'm working on two major academic projects with one with Florida State and one with York University in Canada on some research that we should have out within the next uh, year on junior golf and junior golf development. So it's the first of its kind specifically looking at junior development pathways and what actually happens. So one of my research associates is to Florida tonight. And we're spending the next week collecting more data. And we've collected data from all over the world, from national teams. We have 30 PGA Tour players. And we're expecting in the next year to publish a series of papers to help junior golfers, parents, coaches understand what these people actually do to get to where they're at. Awesome. Any, uh, any idea where we'd be able to find that information once uh, it's it'll, published? It, you know, just like all my articles, I'll write some lay articles on uh, either golfwrx or amateurgolf.com and just make it all uh, free and available and accessible. 
And then all my academic papers typically within a month go up on my website, golfplacementservices.com. And all the links are there and people can read them. And although the, the term is academic paper, I try to write in a very straightforward um, manner so that they can be easily read and digested by anybody. Fantastic. Awesome. Brent, and I, I would also encourage if anybody has any data that they're interested in that I haven't written about, I'm always interested to hear and always interested to, to look into it. Great. And then uh, can you just, uh, just tell everyone your website and if they, if they did uh, want your services for any reason where they could find you? Yeah. So golfplacementservices.com is the website. Uh, all the contact information is on there and they're, they're welcome to reach out um, and ask about our services or just, you know, about their son or daughter or ask questions, uh, you know, happy to engage in a conversation and share my ideas. Awesome. Thank you so much for your help today, Brendan. I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate that. getting to pick your brain a little bit. So I appreciate it. Well, thanks for the time, bud. Uh, Great catching up. Uh, Let's talk soon. Absolutely. Sounds good. Take care. Bye.